The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, it's so good to see you all here today. How are you guys doing? Good. Man, you guys are fired up. I like it. I like it. 12 o'clock service, fired up. Glad to see you all here. Want to welcome those of you online. Um, so glad that you've joined us, and we see you as part of our, of our church as well. So glad that you've joined us. Pilot Campus, love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of our mission to reach out into our city. Um, today we are in part two of our series, Family Goals, and I think we can all agree that sometimes family can be complicated. I got one amen on that, okay? Family can be complicated, and especially um, when, when, if you have kids, if you have grandkids, um, or maybe you're in the season of life, one day you have kids, man, when there are kids in the mix, there is a certain amount of chaos that you have to be prepared to live in the midst of, okay? In fact, um, I was talking with a buddy of mine, he's a, a pastor across town, he's got uh, three boys. Um, and uh, about, this, about the age that Rebecca and my kids are, and we were talking about there's this phenomenon as a parent where you construct sentences that in your wildest dreams you could never have imagined of putting into like one like straight statement. You know, like, buddy, I know that she put a spider in your ear, but don't put a meatball up her nose. <laughs> I just never thought I'd say that exact sentence, Okay. He was telling me that he was driving on the highway with his, with his boys. He's got three boys, and he said there was one time he said, I had to turn around. I said, buddy, put your seatbelt back on. How many times have I told you don't strangle your brother with your seatbelt? <laughs> I mean, you just say things you didn't think you'd have to say ever as a human, okay? And so that is part of the craziness that is family, craziness of having kids around. If you have nieces and nephews over in your house, if you have grandkids, that is part of the glorious craziness that is family. And so what we're doing through this series is we're carving out a few weeks where in the midst of we got the fall, you've got back to school, so we've got all kinds of practice and lessons and events and tournaments and things and homework. In the midst of all of that, carving out some space, we're just clear out some things and say, okay, what are our goals for our family? What are our, what's our priorities? What are the most important things? Instead of school and the extracurriculars deciding what are going to be our priorities, what are we going to say are going to be our priorities for our families? And so digging in to take a look at that. And so here's what we've been doing through the series. We started with uh, each week with the Bible, as we always do, and because we believe that is the word of God, his timeless truth preserved for us. We start with what God has to say. Then in this series, we're bringing in fresh modern research about society, about families, and especially about Gen Z, Generation Z, which is, would be our, our kids and our teens today. So fresh research about that. And then we want all of us to walk out of here equipped with practical things we can walk forward in our families as we're setting our goals for this next year. So we've got today, um, after we kind of dig into the scripture, we're going to apply that to one specific issue we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to even invite some of our, our leaders at our church that um, our lead our, our students and our kids. They're gonna, we're going to dialogue about some resor- resources 
And so you are going to walk out of here equipped on how to protect yourselves and your family from a, a key issue today. So I want to start by opening up to Proverbs chapter 14. Open with me to Proverbs chapter 14. We are going to look at verse 26. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. Let's take a look at what this says. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Let me read that again. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. This concept here is talking about the fear of the Lord. And this is something that the book of Proverbs talks about a lot, this idea of the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs continually talks about if you can get this concept, it affects so much of your life. In fact, the book of Proverbs opens up and says the fear of the Lord, that concept, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. In other words, start with this and it will affect every other aspect of your life. You want to release this idea of fear, fear of the Lord throughout all categories of your life and it will help you thrive. And it gives you the two benefits here of the fear of the Lord. The first thing it says is it gives you strong confidence. Now what that's actually talking about is it gives you security. Now what's the opposite of having strong confidence and security? What's the opposite of that? Worry and anxiety. Okay, so probably every single one of us either watching online or here today walked in with things that we're worried and anxious about. We don't feel secure. We don't feel confident. We're not sure about a decision. We're not sure about what's going to happen. We're not sure about the future. It could be a relationship, career, big decision, financial issue, medical issue. There are things that leave us feeling um, insecure, worried, and anxiety, and, and with anxiety. But what if there was something you could release in your life that doesn't just like mask the thing that you're worried about doesn't just give you an escape from the thing that you're worried about. So you can just kind of like hide for a little bit. It doesn't um, just give you a distraction. What if you could release something into your life that actually erodes worry and anxiety itself? That'd be pretty good. What if you could release something in your life that actually takes that knot that you're struggling to untangle in your mind, like what do I do with this situation? And what if you could release something in your life that helps untangle those knots? What Proverbs says is that's what the fear of the Lord does. So that's one of the benefits. And then it goes on to the second half of that as it says, it actually addresses the thing that's, that so often we're the most worried about, our children. It says, the fear of the Lord gives us strong confidence and it provides a refuge for our children. It creates a fortress. It creates protection. It creates safety. As we, we build our families on the fear of the Lord, it protects our children. Those are two of the benefits. But before we jump into what is the fear of the Lord, look what else it says. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 
So it says the fear of the Lord is like a fountain of life. If you drink of that, it will bring life into you, bring thriving. It's like it helps you drink deeply of life. And so I love how it pairs these two concepts together because it talks about how it provides us safety, security, and how it provides us um, life, fullness of life. Because typically, we as people are drawn to one or the other. Some of us thrive when things are safe, secure, predictable. Like I, I know where things are, are going. I, I, I like, I thrive in and maybe pr- predictable rhythms, safety and security, some of us thrive like that. Some of us thrive with adventure. We're more drawn to taking risks, to dreaming big, thinking big, and we're willing to risk because we wanna experience life. We're adventurers. Okay, let, let's, just, let's just kinda see where we're at. Okay, let me see all the adventurers. Let's see, hands up, adventurers. You guys seem very brave. I got like, woo, okay, that, that, there's our adventures, all right. If you're going like, I'm not really sure if I'm adventure, we'll put you over in this other category, okay? Now, which of you say, I am a safety person? I like nice and predictable and secure. Okay, I got you. Now, if you're not sure where you're at, here is a good litmus test. The litmus test is how do you vacation? I was talking to a good friend of mine. He's telling me about the vacation he went to uh, over the summer. He said uh, he went to a tropical destination, and I was saying, oh, tell me about it. That's great. Did you guys spend some time on the beach? He says, no, we hardly went out on the beach at all. I said, really? You, didn't, you went to this tropical place, and you didn't go to the, the beach at all? He says, no. He says, I'll tell you what we did do. He said, TripAdvisor had said there's this one tour you can't miss. It's a late-night jungle tour. And I said, oh, okay, that sounds cool. He says, yeah. I was like, well, what happened? He's like, late at night. There's this path, and this guide, this train guide takes you, and you're kind of like, you know, going, it's just tiny little path going deep into the jungle, and um, I'm like, wow. And he's like, you hear all kinds of sounds you don't hear during the day. He says, you, you see, I'm like, do you see wildlife? He's like, all kinds of wildlife. It was crazy. And he's like, we all had our flashlights because it's pitch black. I said, well, what kind of wildlife? He says, it was amazing. He said, at one point, the guide told me to take, um, we took our flashlight, and he said, you've been looking like this the whole time, but this time I want you to turn on your flashlight, and I want you to hold it at eye level and just start looking into the jungle. And he said, and when I did that, I could see the light reflecting perfectly back at me off of all these sets of eyeballs (laughs) in the jungle. I said, really? (laughs) What kind of eyeballs? He says, oh, it was crazy. He was like, there's these like, you know, like frogs that are on trees, all different colors, he said, and all kinds of like critters, like large like spiders and other kinds of things. And, and he says there were these all kinds of snakes like right on the path. He says, I was five feet away from the second most dangerous snake in the world. I said, you just described the thing I would least like to do on my vacation. I trust nothing TripAdvisor ever says from here on out, okay? Like, that sounds terrible, okay? Like, like I couldn't imagine doing it. Like, snakes and spiders, that's the worst, okay? But it was the best part of his vacation. He wanted to go on and on, show me pictures of the deadly snakes. I did not want to see this, okay? Vacation for me is I want to be sedentary, okay? I want to get in a chair and move as seldom as possible, okay? Anybody with me on that? Like, that's a vacation, 
okay? I don't want to move. I might walk on the beach with you, maybe, if you can get me out of my chair, okay? So it divides us into two different groups, but here's the thing it says. It says that for both groups, the safety security group and the adventure risk-taking, I want to live it up kind of group, it says what releases both of those is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not just for the safe, secure group. The fear of the Lord is for those, it's saying, look, it's like, the fear of the Lord is like a fountain of life. You want to drink deeply of life. You want to just scoop it up and drink it down and feel alive and feel like you're thriving. You want to release that in your life? Foundation is still the fear of the Lord. And then it says the fourth benefit, it says it helps us avoid the snares of death. And it's so interesting that it pairs this with, uh, with those who want to live, live life and find adventure and are willing to take risk to live it up. It's so important that they know how to avoid the snares because there's a lot of things that offer life. What is a snare? Um, here, here's a picture of an ancient Egyptian snare. It's called a clap net. And what happens is it's like a bended a branch, a two and a half circle, placed together to form a circle. And then they're stretched apart, kind of spring-loaded, and there's netting on either side, and then there's a trigger in the middle. And a bird, when it lands, sets off the trigger, and it claps shut and traps the bird inside the net. So you could conceivably trap the bird alive. Okay, that's how the ancient Egyptians would do this. They would do this for sport. They would do this for hunting. But there's something true of every single snare or trap, almost every single one. There's always bait. There's a lure. I mean, they're not just setting up the trap saying maybe a bird will randomly just land on the exact spot. No, they put berries or bird seed. They put something that draws. It's just like fishing. There's a lure. It's like um, a mouse trap. You don't just set out a mouse trap just hoping that the mouse will accidentally walk over the mouse trap. You put cheese there or whatever. You put something that draws the mouse to it. That's how snares work. There's something that's a good thing that the mouse sees, smells good, comes up, tastes good, and as the mouse is enjoying, as the victim is enjoying what's in the middle of the snare, before they realize it, they're distracted enjoying the lure, and then it traps them. What this passage says is that the world has snares that destroy. It has snares that captures. It offers something that's good. Something that looks good. Smells good. Tastes good. Promises to be good. And then you try it. It is good. And then as you're enjoying it, you don't realize how it's trapping you. So for those who want to live life, you have to know what's the, where the snares are. And the, uh, and the foundation for knowing how to avoid snares is the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? There's a lot of ways you could talk about the fear of the Lord. We talked about it a little bit last week. Um, let's take it from another approach. Um, there's a guy who, of all of Jesus' disciples, might have been the one closest to him. His name is John. And he wrote a biography about Jesus, the book of John. And here's how he describes Jesus. This is John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, this and many other passages say, do you want to know who Jesus was? It was the very presence of God dwelling in our midst, veiled by his flesh. It was Jesus, fully God, fully man, he, he is, is the body of Jesus, is like veiling the presence of God. It's contained inside of Jesus, the God-man. God, Jesus was walking among us, and what did he de- demonstrate? He de- demonstrated who the Lord is. He's full of grace and truth. Now, we understand the, the, the truth side, the truth about who God is. It's interesting that John said that he's, we saw the glory. That's a massive statement because the Old Testament and the New Testament are clear about what seeing the glory of God does to you. Moses once asked, um, while he was up on Mount Sinai with, with God getting the Ten Commandments, he said, God, can I, can I see your glory? And God said, yeah, there's a problem with that. It said literally, God says, no one can see my glory. No human can see my glory with their eyes and live. It would kill you, Moses. Isaiah talks about, he has a vision. I mean, we don't have any written accounts of someone standing before God and surviving it up in in all his glory. But there are a couple men who wrote in the Bible who had visions of it. Isaiah stood in God's presence. And in, in the vision, he said, woe is me, I am undone. In other words... I feel like my molecules are coming apart. I'm disintegrating. Why would he have that perspective standing in God's presence? Because the truth is, the one he's standing before, the all-powerful, most holy God who's holding the universe together is holding his molecules together. He's standing at the source and inventor of life who deserves all worship and honor and obedience. And Isaiah was immediately realizing he did not live a life of perfect obedience and knew what that meant. Yet this being is holding my molecules together. He immediately had this sense that I must be about to fall apart. John, the one who wrote this, had a vision in Revelation standing in the presence of of the glory of God. And it says, he said, I fell down like a dead man. Not, oh, this is God, I I better bow down. Like face plant, like face on the ground waiting for death, like experiencing bodily and emotional trauma like nothing on this planet or this universe could bring upon your body because you're standing in the awesome presence of God. The truth is, that's who God is. The, the, the truth is Jesus came and perfectly taught God's law. And the truth is if God is saying, this is how I want you to live, the one who invented life, he probably knows how life thrives better than we do. And it would be not only like really foolish for us to choose to disobey the one who holds our eternal destination in his hand, But it's foolish to think that we small, tiny creation, tiny humans know how to run our lives better than God does. That's the truth. But Jesus came with grace and truth. Because John, the same one who had a vision of the glory of God, also stood at the foot of the cross. 
And what did he see? He looked up at Jesus and he saw a body mutilated. Whipped, punched, beaten with rods, tortured, nailed to a cross, left to die in agony. Why? To pay for the sins of the world. That same John also saw the risen Lord when he rose from the dead on the third day, saying, as if to demonstrate, to demonstrate, all sins are paid for. And that same John offers that salvation, says that that salvation is offered, you just have to take it in faith, that all sins are paid for. See, Jesus showed us who the Lord is. He upholds truth, but he also comes with grace. Jesus welcomed the sinners and tax collectors to himself. He welcomed the broken to himself. See, we've got to understand, to understand the fear of the Lord, we have to understand who the Lord is, a God of grace and truth. See, our world doesn't know how to do that. We typically bounce through one pole or the other. It's either law or license. Law is, here's the list of the do's and don'ts. Here's the the law. Here are all the rules. If you don't follow the law, shame on you. Like literally, we will pour shame on you and make you feel like you are a horrible person. That's the law. License says, nah, there's no rules. Do whatever you want. And grace is not the balance of the two. Grace is not the middle of the two. Grace is something altogether different. It's Jesus welcoming in, under, welcoming to himself just as we are. And saying, look, I know that you're broken and hurting. I know that you make mistakes. He pours out his grace because I paid for those mistakes. But understand the truth. Don't walk out of here receiving that grace and go back into sin because what does sin do? It destroys. If we want to know what sin does, just look at that mangled figure on the cross. Sin destroys. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's grace and truth. The fear of the Lord is that I say, God, I I acknowledge that you have the way for, for life, the way for thriving. The world doesn't know how to thrive. You know how to thrive. I am gonna operate the way you have called me to to operate because I I want that for my life and I wanna honor you and I know that you offer grace. Your mercies are new every morning because you know that I'm a broken person and I'm gonna use that grace not to allow me to live however I want and keep destroying my life. I'm gonna use that grace to motivate me every morning to live the way that you want me to live so that I can thrive. What is the fear of the Lord, understanding who he is, a God of grace and truth? It gives me confidence. Because I don't know about the circumstances of my life, but I know who does fully know all the circumstances of my life. And I know what my part is in it. Just obey him. So I have a strong confidence. It helps me build a foundation for my family. I want to build this foundation so I know that they're protected. A foundation built on the fear of the Lord. It helps me know how to thrive. I know that, that uh, how to drink deeply from the fountain of life. I know that it's not a matter of, well, I know the world says to live it up looks like this. No, of course I'm going to follow your ways. I want to drink deeply of how you have designed for me to thrive. And it helps me sidestep the snares when the world says, hey, come look at this. 
I mean, who's this really hurting? I mean, you can have this, right? And so often, you know, we taste it, oh, that is pretty good. And then we, we walk into it not realizing that the snare is about to shut. See, the fear of the Lord helps us avoid those snares. We're in a series called Family Goals. The foundation is standing on the fear of the Lord. And it helps us to avoid snares. And there's one particular snare that's an issue we want to talk about today. And this particular one is prevalent in our community. It's prevalent in our generation. And it is threatening us as families and threatening our children. And it's something that we have to square up to. We're not the type of church that sidesteps the difficult issues. We're going to square up to it and talk about it and and so that we as families walk out equipped. It's honestly, to be frank and transparent, it's not a subject I enjoy talking about, but it's something I want to talk about and I'm motivated to talk about because of how important it is. It's the subject of pornography. It's a snare. It says... I mean, who's it really hurting? Well, the research shows that it's actually doing tremendous harm to our society. It's directly linked, pornography is, to sex trafficking. Those are not separate industries. So it is directly harming people. It's doing harm. the, The increase of pornography increases sexual violence in our community. It erodes of sexual health in families, in marriages. It it erodes actual sexual functioning, medical studies are showing, and it is doing great damage. It's a snare that captures people before they realize it. But here's the thing that's most alarming for us is it's also something that is a danger to our children. There's a study that they did, and this is important, they did this study on men who are millennials or Gen X. And they did that, the research on them, and they asked them many questions, but one of them was, what was the age of your first exposure to pornography? And for millennials and Gen X, um, one study revealed um, the average was age 13, was the first exposure to pornography. Another study had it as early as 11. And that's not talking about Gen Z, who has lived with a level of internet access that Millennials and Gen X never had access to. What's the damage to children? Well, it's letting the world explicitly inform them about their sexuality, especially for teenagers, right as they're just beginning to develop their sexuality and form their thinking about it. This is how one study did it. It says pornography viewing by teens disorients them during the developmental phase when they have to learn how to handle their sexuality and when they are most vulnerable to uncertainty about their sexual beliefs and moral values. It does harm to adults, it does harms to relationships, does harm to marriages, does harms to our society, but what it does to a sexually developing adolescent can be extremely harmful. One study found this. Um, It says, we found that the younger a man was when he first viewed pornography, the more likely he was to want power over women. It's shaping their view of of, um, womanhood and masculinity. There are links to pornography use and depression and isolation and loneliness. There are links to um, teen pregnancy among many other 
um, many other significant dangers that pornography can be to, chil- to children and to teens. And so here's the thing. We don't want you to walk out of here scared, but sobered and equipped. So we're going to give you a game plan today. I want you to take out something to take notes on. Also take out your phone. We're going to put resources up here on the screen so that you can snap a picture of it and um, can, can invest in them later so that you can fortify your families and fortify yourselves. And so here's our basic game plan, three steps. The first is build a culture of grace in your home. Reflect the heart of your father and the heart of Jesus. Build a culture of grace. Secondly, engage key resources. We're going to give you a list of those resources here in a moment. And thirdly, utilize internet accountability. First thing, create a culture of grace. We're going to talk about that here. A culture of grace means as parents, when you start these dialogues or you find ways that maybe your teen or child has been exposed to pornography or is struggling, don't freak out. Don't pour shame on them. Stay calm and do what you want from your heavenly father. Love them, receive them, take them into your arms, pour grace upon them, and also speak truth. Resources you'll see here in a second. Thirdly, provide, uh, utilize internet accountability. You need, as parents, we need to be supervising and providing accountability for our teenagers and children when it comes to internet access. Let me paint this picture for you. If you had a five or a six-year-old, would you um, take them uh, after school over to um, the library like a public library, and just drop them off, just pull the car up and say, hey, uh, son or daughter, here, just spend some time in the library. Uh, I'll come back and pick you up in a couple hours. I wouldn't do that for a couple reasons. One, I don't know what books they're pulling off the shelf. And two, I don't know who's lurking in between those bookcases. Well, what if you pulled up to that library and you knew with that particular library about one out of every eight books in that library was pornographic. Would you leave your five or six-year-old in there alone? What about your 12-year-old? What about your 17-year-old? 12% of all websites on the internet are pornographic. About one in eight. That's the library our, our children have access to. But also, what if you knew that library you're dropping your child off at, what if you knew that one out of every seven children that walked in there was solicited for sex? Would you let your child or your teenager in that library? Statistics are showing that children active on the internet, one out of every seven at some point gets solicited for sex. We've got to have the resources to protect our children, provide accountability, and uh, provide supervision. Um, I want to invite out uh, Pastor Justin, Pastor Angel. They're going to help us with this um, discussion and talking through these resources. Yeah, give them a hand. We love these guys. Um, We want to talk about um, these resources in particular. We've been um, dialoguing about kind of our game plan, which is um, first and foremost um, creating a, a culture of grace, resources, accountability. But for starters, let's just start with this. Um, When it comes to Gen Z in particular and pornography, we have to approach this differently than other generations uh, because the generation's wired a little differently. Maybe, Pastor Justin, you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so Gen Z are are children now uh, up until uh, very early, early college. 
Um, and what's different about this generation is their relationship with the internet is very different than previous uh, generations. So uh, in mo most of the generations in this room, the internet in some ways has been something of an escape from the real world. Uh, maybe it's the place you go to to play a video game. Maybe it's the place you go to to read the news or look up uh, silly videos. So the internet serves as kind of this escape from the real world. They withdraw from the real world. But for Gen Z, it isn't an escape from the real world. For them, it's been reversed. It is their real world. What happens on their screens? They often spend more time on screens than they do around people in three dimensions. And so the simplest way I can think of describing the difference is, uh, I remember in, in my generation as an example, if you use the internet to like ask a girl on a date, uh, if you use Facebook to try and you know, start a relationship with someone, it was somewhat frowned upon, like, oh, you didn't have the courage to go up to her. Well, now entire relationships uh, from beginning and sometimes to end exist online. Uh, where our kids, they're beginning their relationships by sliding into each other's DMs. You can ask them about what that means. They begin relationships by direct messaging each other online. Uh, swiping right. Yeah, that's right. So you, you, can, you can almost exclusively, exclusively have a relationship in their real world. And it becomes this place where three dimensions, people around a table, is the escape from their real world. And so pornography that's available widespread on these devices presents a unique challenge for this generation. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, previous generations when it comes to pornography, to access it um, when the internet was newer, to access pornography, it was literally going to a store. And so that you know, created an obstacle. But when it's so accessible, I mean, nowadays, it's like if you don't have internet access to someplace you go, you're like, what is wrong with this place? How come I don't have Wi-Fi? And so it's so constantly available. We have to equip this generation. Um, let's talk specifically about um, creating a culture of grace. Um, I know, Pastor Angel, you've got a class coming up that's going to equip parents uh, on that subject. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've been noticing that, that this generation, Generation Z, is one of the hardest generations to communicate with verbally and to have conversations with and to jump into dialogues about topics just like this that are so uncomfortable and hard to talk about. And so in our student ministry, what we've done is we've created a five-week course uh, specifically for parents and for our, even our student ministry leaders to be a part of this five-week course happening at the 1030 service um, during our time here and basically five weeks of just learning how to talk with teenagers. And this course is free. Hey, give it up for free. Make some noise. Hey, we love free. And, um, and it's an excellent experience for a lot of parents and other leaders to build relationships with others in the same experience of life, of trying to really learn how to communicate with teenagers. And so this course won't just be talking about how to have discussions about sex and porn. But it will also be discussing, okay, how do you talk about finances with teenagers? How do you talk about disciplinary conversations with them? How do you talk about their future? Like all these different things. We've got to figure out how to communicate with Generation Z because it is not like others at all. And so we've got to be more clear and we've got to be more precise in what we talk about. Please take advantage of that if you have teens, um, children or grandchildren or you're about to. Like if you have their like late elementary school Take advantage. Five weeks. What an investment in your family. And to sign up, you just go on that website there on the screen. Yeah. You have to sign up to be a part of this. Yeah, please sign up. That, that is a great resource. Um, all right, let's talk about other actual resources. So that helps us build a culture of grace in our home. 
but we also want to utilize key resources. Let's start with resources for children. We can't shelter kids from the internet. That You just can't do that. We've got to train and equip them to engage it. So walk us through, Pastor Justin, some some resources. Yeah, so really in cooperating with our idea of, uh, of establishing a culture of grace, um, these are a couple of books that help begin the conversation with your children if you have young children. So this book I'm holding up here, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, please do take a, a photo of that uh, and look that up later if you have young children. But this book basically walks a child through the fact that there are good pictures and there are bad pictures. And it helps a child know what to do when they come across a bad picture. Um, the reality is at some point, they'll see it on a friend's device, they'll by accident come across an ad, something will happen and they will, in our world, they will probably see a bad picture younger than we would want them to. And so this helps train them what they can do and helps encourage them that they can talk to mommy and daddy when they see something like this, that nothing is wrong with them, uh, that they can stay calm, but they're to come to us and have that conversation. So this is a helpful book for ages three to seven. And then the next book is in the same, the same exact series. It's Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. The, the previous one was the junior version. This is for older elementary age kids. This is more in depth. It also has a, a science section that describes at an elementary level what uh, kids should know about what bad pictures do to your brain, uh, about what bad pictures, how they affect you as a person. So this is another excellent tool and resource for the older elementary age kids to begin those conversations and to help them be prepared for what to do in those moments where they might, when they might see something. Oh, that's awesome. Great resources. Um, Rebecca and I have used the younger one with our kids. Fantastic book um, and made us feel like, okay, we're, we're starting the process of protecting them. So that's a great resources. Pick those up if you have kids or grandkids or about to have kids that age. Let's talk about teens. What are some resources for teens on this subject? So there's a lot of resources for, uh, for parents of teenagers. And there's been one that for the past year I've kind of really just fallen in love with. And it's, the website is called Fight the New Drug. And this is a, an electronic resource. This is an interesting one because what I like about it, it kind of, um, it's a non-Christian website. It, when you actually log on, the first thing it says, boom, on the screen, we are a non-religious website. And they really try and make it clear. And one of the reasons as a pastor, as somebody who loves Jesus and loves the Bible, but I love this not being a Christian website because it reveals that science has finally caught up to what God's been teaching. And so when I sit across a teenager, when I talk with parents, this is not my abuela's theology. I'm just trying to pour on someone. This is truth that they need to receive as truth because science has finally come to the point of seeing that teenagers who are raised in this kind of culture of pornography, who are addicted to porn and all these different things, they grow up to be very dangerous people and very broken people. And so things like this have come out to go ahead and rescue teenagers from this. And this one website in particular has hundreds of articles that's really engaging for teenagers to go over. And it also even has free documentaries that are extremely helpful and engaging for teenagers to enjoy and learn so much about what happens to the human brain when this takes place. So one of the things I always try and tell parents, your kids know you don't know everything. And they tell you a lot. <laughs> Some parents are looking like, do you know? And I literally just saw a dollar go, yeah, dad, you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And so, but that reality that, that you have in the dynamic in the relationship with your teen, leverage that and say to them, hey, look, I don't know everything about this. Let's go learn together. And go on that website, Fight the New Drug, and watch the documentary with your teens. Yeah. 
It's not awkward. It's well done. And it's free. We love free and helpful. And so We love all the resources you're bringing, Angel. Yeah, I'm great. all about free stuff. Yeah, I really appreciate am. appreciate that. Wow. All right, so take advantage of those resources, please. Uh, use those. Those are key resources. Last part of our game plan is utilizing internet accountability. Um, so, uh, Justin, talk us through, you know, kind of like what are some key ideas, key resources for that? Yeah, just to continue on with that uh, example that Pastor Ruby just shared about going, letting your child go into a library knowing good and well as parents we wouldn't do something like that. Knowing that there's dangerous material, we would not send them into that kind of snare. Uh, and so the internet is just wise practice for us as parents to not allow unhindered access to the internet with our kids. Um, it's setting them up to be trapped. It's setting them up to take the bait and find themselves hurt and wounded. Uh, and so there's just some practical things like no computers or devices in the room at night when you go to bed. Have those in public places where you can have access to them. Another tool that I just can't encourage parents enough to take advantage of are the parental control features on devices. Uh, parents, you ought to have the password. You ought to have access to what apps your children have. Um, maybe one way to build trust with your child as they grow older, because we do want to build trust and start to give them responsibility and freedom. One tool is maybe you start out when they have a device where every time they want to download an app, an application on their phone or tablet, it's your password that needs to be entered in for them to download anything. And so in order for anything to be downloaded, mom or dad have to be the ones that download the app. Perhaps after some time and they've shown trustworthiness, maybe the next step is they can download things, but a notification is sent to you and you know exactly what they downloaded. But find those ways to build that trust and establish that relationship. And just as a caution to you parents and teens in this room, I, I love you. Uh, I'm going to out you a little bit. There are apps, parents, you need to be aware of that, that, can, that teens can use to hide certain things on their phone. This is an example. There's one that's a, a calculator that it's not really a calculator, actually it does calculate things, but you type in a certain code and you can hide photos and videos uh, that they know the special code to, they can access all sorts of photos and videos that you wouldn't be able to find, and if you were scrolling through their phone, all it looks like is a calculator. Uh, and so there are apps like that designed to be these snares, to be these hidden places that teens think it's a neat way to hide things from mom and dad, but in reality, put them in a place where they're hiding things that are actually harmful to them. Just to speak to that and to speak to not only uh, parents but also to you teens, um, you know, a, a lot of times the response to, from a teenager to a parent is, yeah, but I need my privacy. Why can't I, you know, this is my phone. Why can't I have my pri privacy? And absolutely our kids should have an appropriate level of privacy. But if um, a van pulled out, a sketchy van pulled up in front of my house and one of my daughters said, Dad, I'm going to go spend time in that van and I need some privacy, I would get a posse of men, and we would go turn that van upside down, okay? That's right. Some volunteers in here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, so here's what we're saying. Yes, you need privacy, and, and yes, you should have privacy in an appropriate area, an appropriate way, but internet is a dangerous place. Devices can, can cause tremendous harm, and we love you too much. To, to provide that unsupervised um, and without accountability. So, okay, um, helpful, helpful tips. Um, one thing, uh, another resource about uh, when it comes to accountability, Covenant Eyes. 
Um, there's, uh, I think we have a slide for uh, Covenant Eyes as well. Um, take a picture of that if you can. I wish every Christian family would have this uh, on their internet, on their devices. You can get um, a plan for a family on multiple devices. There's multiple levels that this works on, um, both for accountability. It can also have firewall features, um, but this is a tremendous tool for families, a, a t tried and tested tool for uh, many years that many families, um, both for children and adults, have found so much help from that. Any last thoughts, uh, Pastor Angel, on this subject? Yeah, so as Roby was talking about the van that pulls up on this, on this house and he would it get It hasn't, a just for clarity. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Uh, but uh, talking about that posse and I would get a posse together and we would go flip it upside down. You know, I think as, as parents and as adults and as leaders in the student ministry or wherever you are, um, we need to have the same tenacity of, of fighting to protect our children from stuff like this that we would if that van pulled up. Uh, because it has such serious implications for the upbringing of our children who grow up addicted and who grow up enslaved to this kind of stuff. Um, as, as a pastor, as a man who sits across so many different men, I have never heard a man say, man, my relationship was terrible. And man, and then I got addicted to pornography and boom, it became better. I've never heard someone attribute removing of anxiety in their lives, depression, or any struggles to them getting addicted to pornography. This stuff is wicked. This stuff breaks relationships. It breaks people. And it is something that Jesus wants to free you from. That's right. Because he loves you. Because he cares and there's freedom from, for you. You are not gross. You are not disgusting because you've, you've dabbled with this stuff. If anything, you are someone who needs Christ. And he wants to have you experience joy and freedom. And so students, as your parents jump into your stuff and open your stuff. And you're like, oh, no, I hate you, Justin. Right? And as all that stuff happens, um, just know that they're doing it because they care and they want to protect you. And they don't want you to be a slave to this. They want you to be free. So let them do it. Hey, yeah. Hey, um, just speaking on behalf of our church, I just want to thank you guys. We love you guys. And just your, as you pour into our, our kids and our students, our whole uh, next-gen team, we are so grateful for you guys giving your lives. I mean, these, these men and women on our next-gen team are giving their lives for our kids and our students to protect them. So can we just honor them together? We, we appreciate you guys. Thank you. You know, as we, as we close, we got to go back to this is our foundation. We serve a God of grace and truth. The truth is he wants to save us from things that are destroying, but he offers so much grace. And so if what you've heard today has challenged you, Hopefully it's equipped you as a parent, grandparent, future parent. But what, if what has been discussed today has challenged you, convicted you, here's what I want you to remember. You can run to the Father. He has grace. Don't be isolated. Don't keep that in the dark. Run to the source of life. Let me remind you what we sang earlier, and I want to close with this. This is the song we, we sang, Run to the Father. This is the words we sang. My heart has been in your sights. Long before my first breath, running into your arms is running to life from death. Just as I am, you pull me in, and I know I need you now. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father, 
again and again. I don't know where you are on your journey with this particular issue, but uh, this much I do 100% know. Run to the Father today. Run to the Father today. Find freedom. Find life. He's the source of life. Can we just go to the Father together? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father God, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you want to protect us. You want to protect our marriages. You want to protect our families. You want to protect our children. Thank you, Father, for what you want to do in our midst. Thank you what you want to do in our lives and our families. We choose to believe that today. We want to take that step forward. We want to run to you knowing that we have your grace. When we run to you, even with the things in our life we'd rather keep hidden, when we run to you, we find a father of grace who takes us into his arms and he speaks truth into our ears. And that truth is that through Jesus Christ, all of our sins are washed away and we are sons and daughters, beautiful in your sight. And we hear the truth of who we are because of Jesus. And we hear the truth of what you want for us to save us from the snares that lead to death. So we run to you today. I pray for those who are running away from you, God, who have never run into your arms, that today would be their day of salvation. Today, even in this moment in this prayer, they'd say, God, I want to be saved. They'd say, yes, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my my sins on the cross. I believe he rose again. I believe he paid for my sins, and I find forgiveness in Jesus that there would be those that would say yes to you today and find salvation. We love you and we lift all this up in the strong, powerful, victorious name of the one who purchased our souls and cleansed us free and gave us his righteousness and declared us clean. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.